Father God, Lord, we thank you for um, your holiness, God. We thank you that you are worthy, Lord. That there are so many areas in our lives, God, and in our country, in our city, Lord, that um, the only possible solution is you, Lord. And we just pray, God, that this morning, Father, you would reveal your son to us, Lord, that we could see the person of Jesus Christ in a way um, that we never, never have before, God, that you became poor, Lord, that we be, would become rich in you, Lord. And so I just pray, God, that we would see the riches that are in Christ this morning. And in Jesus' name we pray and believe. Amen. All right, you guys can be seated. Yeah, good job. Thanks, brother. Um, so we're going to continue in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, um, 2 and 3 today. And the title, as you can see, is The Shackles of Unity in Ephesians 4, 2 through 3. And before we jump into the title and just into the scripture this morning, I want to just talk a little bit about the corporate prayer that we've been doing and what a blessing that really was this week. Um, and just fun. Really throughout the week, people praying on their own, people getting together to pray, and just really feeling encouraged myself. And the reason we've talked about this is just really reaching the lost and expanding into our community on an impact of those around us. And just want to encourage you guys can, to continue, if you can, to make those. will be Tuesday and Thursday from 5 to 6.30 um, to seek the Lord individually, but also corporately um, of what he's doing here at ESIS and what he's doing in Fort Collins, really praying for those um, who need Christ in our community. But we will not be doing Wednesday morning because we are not morning people, and so we were doing 6 to 8, but um, just due to me being a person shut up, we will just do um, Tuesdays and Thursdays afternoons, I think is best for us um, and for longevity of that. So as we move into the scripture for today, just want to ask a question that is rhetorical, you guys can answer if you want, but what is unity when we think about that? And in our culture, and in, especially in our country right now, there's so many different views of what unity is, of agreeing to disagree, or everyone's accepted, or different definitions for different things. We all just kind of come together and say it's unity, but when we really think about the Bible and what Christ defines as unity, what really is unity? And I really believe that God is going to do some renewing of our mind and our thinking when we think about unity this morning. I know he did for me this week as I studied this. And I want to go to our first scripture, which is Matthew 12, 25, before we jump in this morning. And he says, But Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. So Jesus made it clear that, that unity was an essential thing. This wasn't something that could, we could take it or leave it. That without unity, it was a for sure fact that the kingdom would fall. That whether it's a nation, whether it's a team, whether it's a country, that once something becomes divided, it will not last for very long. I was studying this, this week a little bit of church history and just looking at the Roman Empire as it expanded. And Rome was so strong at the time, nobody could have ever really came against Rome because they had military, they had resources, they had power, they had everything you could ever want. But what deteriorated the Roman Empire was division and manipulation and greed and pride from the inside out. That Rome fell apart not because a great army came against Rome, but Rome fell apart because of what was happening inside of its own kingdom. And as we've talked about Ephesians, we saw in chapter 1 that the church is called out. That before the foundation of the world, Christ called us out as his bride. Chapter 2, we saw that we were family. That by the blood of Christ, he brought these two people together that were, that were far apart and near into one. In chapter 3, we saw that the church is a mystery. And we saw our call to make the manifold wisdom of God known. And now chapter 4, we're going to get to being a team. Now a team 
demands unity. We need unity. And going to Matthew 12, 25, how paramount unity is for the body of Christ. And in chapter 4, we're going to see the practical application of how important unity is. And really, if there's anything we can take from this sermon today, is that unity, it is our only option. It's not something we can choose to do. It's not something that we try to do that maybe will work. But if we want to walk in a manner worthy of our calling, which we were called, unity is our only option. We read that in verse 1 last week, to walk in this manner worthy of our calling. And what is our calling? To make the manifold wisdom of God known, not only to this city, not only to our country, but even to the angels. It says the principalities and the powers. And if we want to do that, our only option is unity. And it was actually funny because this morning, I meant to ask somebody, I forgot now, but the long boats that we see at the reservoir that, like, there's like four people paddling at one time, what do we call those? Just canoes. I wasn't sure if that was one person or three people or what it's called. But we'll say canoes. And what was really interesting to me is there's four people in this canoe I was watching, and each person was a different size. There was two guys. One guy was huge. One guy was a little bit smaller. One older lady and one younger lady. And so when I was looking at these four people, there is no way they could row the same strength and really at the same speed. But yet they were rowing at the, at the same speed, and they weren't going left, they weren't going right, but they were in perfect unison, and they were going straight, and they were going pretty fast. And it was interesting because it was just giving a great picture of how unity isn't about everyone has to be the same strength, everybody has to be the same size, or everyone has to be the same gift. Everybody was different, just these four people in this boat, but yet they were going so smooth, they were going so fast. And in the same way, just imagine that in that boat, one of those guys was like, man, I'm going to prove to everybody in this boat how strong I am. And he just started rowing as fast as he could, that biggest guy. They would have gone left or right so fast, and it, they wouldn't have gone anywhere. But unity wasn't about him showing everybody else how strong he was, but really was just seeing that um, rhythm within the team. It was, it was just cool to see this morning, I think, confirmation of what the Lord is doing uh, with us in unity. So the next scripture is Matthew 16. Verse 18, and it says, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. The reason I bring up this scripture is because, biblically speaking, the church is unstoppable. Jesus is saying here, there is no way the church can be stopped by, by Hades. That Satan himself could, there's nothing he can do to stop the church. And when we look about what's the church supposed to do, is really be changing the world. And so when we look at that, if, if the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. What can prevail against the church? And really what Satan does, because he himself can't stop us, he gets us to stop us. He gets us to get in the way. He gets us to have our pride in the way. He gets us to stop relying on Christ and to rely on ourselves. And when we talk about praying for the city, when we talk about praying corporately, that's a great place to start um, for unity. But if we really want to reach the lost, we really have to become a team. And we have to have unity um, that is biblical and unity that really becomes our only option. It's not an afterthought, but it's something that is the forefront of our mind. So we, um, as we go through those scriptures, just want to lay out an intro of one, that unity is essential, that they, it truly is our only option. But two, when we are unified, the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. And the hope that we need, the hope that this city needs, is found within the church and within um, what Christ is doing. So we go to Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, we see our scripture for today. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the 
bond of peace. Now, I usually don't preach this way, but we're really going to kind of do a little bit more of a teaching this morning. I mean, it just really jumped out to me what the Greek of these words were and how specific each one of these are. So for a second, it's going to be a little bit more lecture form, but then we'll get to kind of the, the closing here at the end. But what I found was there was four things that will get tested as we search for unity, for each one of us. One is our mind, two is our ego, three is our endurance, and fourth is our love. I got these up here. Our mind, our ego, our endurance, and our love. So we look at Ephesians 4.1. If we want to walk in a manner worthy of our calling, he says we have to walk with all lowliness. Now what is lowliness? In the Greek, lowliness had to do with humility of the mind. It's how we think. And I don't know if you've ever been around that person where you're around them for a while, and they just seem so humble. And like they're doing all the busy work or they're doing all the hard things. But all of a sudden, it's like something pops in them. And it's just like, whoa, like where did that come from? It was because a lot of times, there could be a lowliness in our action, but there's a really a lowliness in our mind. Do we really have humility in our mind, or are we just serving because we know it's the humble thing to do, but in our mind, we're still kind of prideful. In our mind, we still um, want to be the one that, that's looked up to. We want to be the one that's important. In Hebrews, or in Romans 12, 3, it says, For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. See, our unity starts in our mind. And if we think we're important, or like this scripture says, we think ourselves too highly, that we think we are more important than someone else, that will, that will come out of us eventually. It may take a while, but, but unity truly starts in our mind. And how are we thinking? One, how are we thinking of ourselves? And how are we thinking of others? Do we think of others as important? Do we think of other people as valuable? Or do we just think that everything needs to be revolving around us, no matter what our actions look like? But what, where is our mind truly at? And as we endeavor to keep unity, I promise, our mind and how we think about ourselves and how we think about others it will get tested. The second thing is we see is gentleness. And this word gentleness in the Greek really has to do with um, meekness. Now, when we think about meekness, I've heard a lot of people when I ask them, first word that comes to mind with meekness, and people say like a mouse, like a meek mouse or something. It's not what meekness means. Biblically, what meekness means is you have the power and the authority to do something, but you really hold it back because of humility or because of gentleness. And a great example, really, of this, we just sang it, was Jesus, it says he was the lion of Judah, and he was a lamb that was slain. How could a lion get slain like a lamb? It's not a lamb. See, Jesus came with all power, with all authority. He could have been king. He could have reigned over everyone. He could have came and made everybody his footstool from the beginning. But as a lion, Jesus laid down his life as a lamb. That Jesus didn't use his pride, Jesus didn't use how big he was to conquer people, but instead he used that in gentleness and he used that in humility. And the reason why I really believe this, that unity tests our ego, is we will not be gentle if we're egocentric. If we have a high ego, you'll see it every time, um, if you watch like a movie, the main character who's, who's really mean or whatever, it's they have this ego, they have to prove to people they're in control. They have to prove to people they know what's going on. Or they, or they have to have other people see that they're important. They have to see other people see their talents. And as a result, when conflict arises, they're very harsh. And they like kind of want that notch in their gun or whatever it is. I proved this to whoever it is. I really, I really laid it to them. 
But Jesus, when you look through the gospel, man, he was gentle. Now, there was times he was truthful, and there was times where he definitely held people accountable. But there was this piece of him that, that was so unlowly that, that he came meek, that he was a lion, but yet he lived um, as a lamb, and he offered himself willingly. That when we are prideful, we will come off harsh, and it will affect our unity. But when we are humble, we'll come off gentle, and we'll want to bring people in as Christ brought people in. A great example of this in the Bible is Jesus says about John the Baptist, there is no greater man born of woman than John the Baptist. That the greatest man in the Bible that came from Jesus' mouth outside of Jesus was John the Baptist. But this is what John the Baptist said. He must increase, but I must decrease. If anybody could have had an ego, it was John. But yet John's whole ministry was about himself decreasing and was about Christ increasing. In Philippians 2, 3 through 5, we see both of these um, aspects come to play. Lowliness and humility of our mind and also gentleness. It says, let nothing be done through self-ambition or conceit, but lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Our third point here is long-suffering, and this is what's going to test our endurance. And something that was very interesting when I was studying this word in the Greek was not only is long-suffering about endurance, but the second part it had to it was this aspect of fortitude or solidarity. That long-suffering isn't about just limping along and just like fake it till we make it. Long-suffering is about fortitude. There's an immovableness about the truth and about the love and about um, who we are as, as people in Christ when there's long-suffering there. Long-suffering, the foundation of it is faith and truth. The foundation of it is not like friendship grace. I don't know if you guys have ever experienced this. I know I've done it where we want to help somebody, and instead of being long-suffering in faith and truth, we kind of just put up with what's going on in the name of being a friend and just hoping and wishing like this will change eventually. And that's not long-suffering. Jesus never turned the blind eye. Man, he confronted the disciples over and over and over as they messed up. And he said at one point, you know, faith is generation. How long must I be around you? It was killing him to watch these guys continue to mess up. But he never gave up on them. And long-suffering has to be in faith and truth. And it can't be about us being nice enough to get people to turn around and do the right thing. It's got to be in faith and truth. The reason why it has to be in faith and truth is because of James 1, 6-8. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. One other big mistake I've made in long-suffering is I think sometimes we can see somebody, whether it's a family member or somebody close to us, who reacts in a poor way. And they get hurt. They, they're maybe offended at us, whatever it is. And we bend over backwards and try to do everything to make it okay. Where he's like, oh man, like I didn't mean it that way. Or, and we go into major apology mode instead of just looking at what is the reason this person may be reacting the way they're reacting. A really good example is, again, you, if, if we've done children's ministry, which most of us have over the last month or two, you see a kid react in a bad way. Now, if we just assume they're right every time the kid reacts, man, they're not going to be able to grow up to, to be a good adult because they've been coddled and every time they reacted to something, we stooped down maybe to their level, whatever it was, to make them feel better. In the same way, that's why long-suffering has to be in faith and truth. 
that long suffering means we're bearing with somebody, but we're doing it in faith. We're doing it because we're trusting God is working in us, and God is also working in that person. And it's not about us being bending over backwards, but it's about us being consistent in faith, not being tossed to and fro, but being consistent in who Christ is. Because the truth is, if it's always about us being right, or us bending over backwards, or us being nice, unity just won't last long. Because there's going to be a time where you're not nice. There's going to be a time where we're wrong. And if, if unity is, is like this precious little thing that if you just touch it wrong, it, it breaks, it's going to break eventually. That unity has to be in long-suffering. And it's going to test our endurance of how long can we have faith? How long can we endeavor to keep truth within our relationships? The fourth one is our love will be tested. And the scripture just flat says, bearing with one another in love. And as we talk about long-suffering, we talk about weakness, we talk about lowliness, all of this is held together in our love for people. And I love what Jesus says in Luke 19.41, or what he does. It says, now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it. As Jesus is going to Jerusalem before he gets crucified, he sees a city and weeps. And see, I believe that true biblical unity, it not only causes us to get God's heart for the city, but it gets our, our God's heart for each other. That instead of just saying a quick prayer and at the end of my um, day for, man, I prayed for Kayla or I prayed for Kaylin, there's this, you pray for each other like in, in weeping. That we talk about in Romans 8, that we groan with, with, with words that are too deep to even utter. That unity turns into, instead of just, I pray because I kind of know I should pray for and to, man, when we think about each other, there's a weeping. There's something that comes out of each other because of our love for one another. That we're not lowliness just to be lowly. And we're not long-suffering just to be long-suffering. But we do it out of a love in the same way that Christ had a love for Jerusalem. Jerusalem was not loving Christ back at the time. Man, they hated him. They did not want him. They, they were getting ready to crucify him. But at the same time, this is the love that Jesus had for Jerusalem. See, Jesus' love didn't, wasn't dependent upon if people gave it back to him. But Christ's love was dependent upon his heart for these people and him wanting to reconcile them back to him. So as we look at these things, is our love for one another will be tested. Because we can't endure, we can't bear with one another over a long period of time if we do not love each other the way that Christ loved us and the way that Christ loved Jerusalem here in this scripture. So we recap these. We got lowliness, which was humility of the mind. We got gentleness, which was meekness, Christ being the lion and the lamb, testing our ego. Long-suffering, which was endurance, but with solidarity and faith and truth. And bearing with one another, which is all rooted in love. So we go back to our scripture in Ephesians 4.3. It says, now, endeavoring to keep the unity. So as we do those things that we recap, now it goes into endeavoring. And endeavoring was another great word. Um, it didn't mean giving it our best shot. It didn't mean giving it our best effort. It didn't mean saying, man, I tried. It didn't work. It's cool. It means to labor. It means to study. And it means to be diligent. It means to continue into something as a labor. And it means to study. It means to know what this truly is. To know the truth of what I'm fighting for. It means to be diligent of doing it over and over and over and over. And John 13.1 says, now before, before the feast of the Passover... When Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from his father to the world, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Man, I love this scripture because of just Jesus, man, he endeavored to keep the unity, not only with his disciples, not only with those around him, but still us to this day 
just this last part says he loved them to the end. That Christ never got to the point where it was just too far gone. Christ never got to the point where people were just too, too simple, whatever it was. That he loved them all the way to the end. That Jesus' heart didn't get cold as the disciples um, ridiculed him. That Christ's heart didn't get cold when his um, family, his own family rejected him. His, his heart didn't get cold even to the point where they were crucifying him. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That Jesus loved them to the end. His love for these people never changed no matter what they did. His heart didn't become cold and he never became apathetic. And that's, that's the, I think, the struggle for us sometimes in the church. And, and we see so much hurt that it can become apathetic. Like, you know, I'm just going to be obedient. I'm going to do my thing. And man, if other people don't, like, I'll just hold on to Christ. And now there's some truth to that, that we need to be obedient regardless of what people do. But Christ never got a soft or a hard heart during that. He never became apathetic during people um, failing him or letting him down. He loved them to the end. And, and just think about us, man. Think about how Christ has loved us to the end. I am thankful that he's the author and the finisher of our faith. He didn't just start our faith, but he's going to be the one that finishes it. Amen. Even when we let him down, even when we um, fall into our sin, that he is going to love us to the end. Amen. A great picture of this is the prodigal son. Man, this guy leaves. His father didn't go chase him around. He didn't just follow him from pigsty to pigsty, asking him when he was going to come back. His father was there the moment his son repented. His father was ready to love him. And, and the big question for us today is when we need to have forgiveness in our heart, if that person were to come to repent, and that person were to come before us, man, in tears and godly sorrow, would we be ready to forgive them? Or are we so bent on, again, our heart becoming cold and our heart becoming apathetic? When that moment came, would we be like the powerful son's father? Would that moment his son was there, he was ready to forgive him. The moment that reconciliation was there, he was ready to step into that. As we endeavor, it says we are endeavoring to what? Keep the unity. Now this is the big one. We've been talking about unity this whole time. What is unity? John 17, 11, Jesus says this. Now I'm no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. That the Greek word in unity literally just means oneness. It doesn't mean a mixed bag of different people. It doesn't mean um, we all throw in our chips. It means one thing. That unity means oneness. And that's what Jesus is praying for here. And it's crazy because one of the things that Christ did when he died, he not only died for us to become one with the Father and one with him, but he died for us, what does it say? That they may be one as we are one. That Christ died that we, the body of Christ, not just in Jesus, but in Fort Collins, would be one in the same way he is one with the Father. This isn't just about local church, it's about the church. That here in Fort Collins, that we should be one with the body of Christ overall, the way that Christ says he was is one with the Father. That that's the type of unity that we're endeavoring to keep. It's not to agree to disagree, it's not, oh man, we gave it our best shot, but it's that we would be one with Christ the way that he is one with the Father. Now we finally get to the whole point of the sermon, or the um, title of the sermon, is of, of the shackles of unity. And again, unity is our only option to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which we are called. And this Greek word for bond, the bond of peace, it literally, literally means shackles. It, it means to be controlled or shackled to something. And can you imagine if the body of Christ, literally like us, were shackled to one another? How long would you be okay with being mad at that person? If you were shackled with them? How long would you be okay with bitterness in your heart if you were literally shackled to them? That would not fly. You would, you would kill each other or something. 
If you're literally, you couldn't go away. You couldn't cut the, the chain and walk your separate ways. That you were literally shackled together like prisoners are shackled together. And that's what the body of Christ is really meant to be. Not that we're, we're chained to each other is a bad thing, but it's a good thing. Paul's like, you guys, you have no option to go separate ways. It's like the body of Christ has no option for division if you want to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. So he gives this, this Greek word, which is basically to be shackled to one another. So I want to read this scripture again. I don't think I didn't put it back up there. Um, so you guys have your Bibles open, Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. As we've defined these different things of what it means um, to be lowly, what it means to be bonded together, hopefully this brings more light to the scripture. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond or in the shackles of peace. And we look at this, man, how, how do we how do we really do this? You know, I mean, it, we, we can define it and we can look at it, but this is not easy. How can we ever really walk out, walk this out in truth and in love? And I thought immediately of Hebrews 12 that says, looking under the author and the, the perfect of our faith, Jesus Christ, who endured such hostility from sinners, lest you become discouraged in your soul. Well, we don't want to be lowly. I want to read this scripture. Now, we read the beginning of this, but we're going to read the rest. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. See, Jesus humbling himself underneath the Father and humbling himself underneath us led to his crucifixion on the cross. That Christ, he fought for unity to the point of death. And the question to us, when it's so hard, we don't want to be lowly. We don't want to be long-suffering. We don't want to endeavor to keep unity. Christ, God himself, became a man, humbled himself underneath man, men to do this. And then we, well, we don't want to do it. How can we not want to do something that God himself became a man to show us how to do it. Jesus displayed all these things, and Jesus didn't do it for people who were meeting him halfway. And most of these people weren't meeting him any type of way. I mean, they, they were fighting him. They were the ones that put him on the cross. Now, we can't force unity, and we can't make people be unified, but neither could Christ. But what Christ did is he gave people the example, and he gave people the opportunity, he gave people the power that they could choose for their obedience, whether we would humble ourselves in the same mind as Christ. And that Jesus provided our example. And the cool thing about Christ is he didn't do it. He did it because he loved us, that's for sure. But his foundation was because he did what pleased the Father. His foundation was he did it, he did it, he committed himself to whatever the Father was doing. He says, whatever I see the Father do, that's what I'm doing. That our foundation, man, we love each other, and we should want to um, keep the unity with everything in us. But our foundation is, is the Father. Our foundation is the quiet place with God. Our foundation is our obedience, our intimacy with Him. That's the only thing that will keep us long haul fighting for unity is, is our foundation in Christ and Christ alone, Him doing the work in us. 2 Corinthians 8 9. It's been on the scripture lately a lot, but. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. I just want to make this scripture personal. You know, like, put your name in there. Because he, he really is talking about you, that Jesus Christ, who had everything, gave up everything so he would have nothing, so that you individually 
may become rich in Christ. So whether it's for you, Matt, know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for Matt's sake he became poor, that Matt, through his poverty, might become rich. That this was so personal that Christ has done for each and every one of us. And why is it that we fight that so much? We don't want to become poor so that someone else can become rich. We don't want to become poor for you to be saved. We, we, whether it's our ego, whether it's our pride, whether it's, it's our mind, these things get in the way that we don't want to do the same thing that Christ did, but yet he did it for us, man. And he, he, he spilled his blood so that we could partake in the same unity that he has with the Father. So I want to close with this. We talked so much about walking in a manner worthy of our calling. In chapter 4, this is a big one. It's about being a team. Now, if we really want to reach the city of Fort Collins, if we really do want to walk in a manner worthy of our calling, unity, it is our only option. To be a team, it is our only option. And I pray if there's anything that we leave this leave here today is that, that we wouldn't view unity as this like second little thing that's kind of, if it's there, we'll be a great church. If it's not, ah, it's okay. We can still do our thing. We can't. We cannot be the church that God called us to be without this type of unity. And when we talk about biblical unity, I'm talking about being shackled together. The, the biblical definition of what unity was truly meant to be. First Peter 4.17 says, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? That this morning, I just pray that for myself, I've done a lot of prayer throughout this week and, and will continue um, this morning. But God, for us to, to affect the city, he's going to start, it says, at the house of God. He's going to start with us. And, and that's what we're talking about, of coming in the mornings to pray and coming um, in the afternoons to pray and finding each other during the week and living a life together. Is because in order for us to start affect the city, he's got to start with us. We've got to represent Christ. We've got to represent unity. We've got to represent what he represented. And I'm not saying we're not. But I'm saying that, that this is just that we would not leave this church this morning with bitterness or an unresolved issue in our heart. I'm not saying that you're going to necessarily have it all figured out this morning, but that if we're really serious about this, that we will take the time this morning to pray and to seek the Lord to bring unity, not with not only within our hearts, but within the church here at Jesus, but the church in Fort Collins. And I, I don't know if this is the case, I kind of hope not, but maybe if it is, that we wouldn't leave this morning if we've got an issue with somebody here in this church. But there's no reason why we couldn't sit down. We're going to have time. Sit down with the person today and sit across from you. Man, I've never told you this, but I've had this bitterness in my heart. Now, I've had, it starts in our mind. It starts with the way we think. Ephesians 4, 30-32 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Man, we've got to be able to forgive other people exactly how Christ forgave, forgave us. That's a big one. And the other thing about this list, you realize that everything it talks about, about grieving the Holy Spirit, deals with how we treat each other. It's not about the, did, did you ace the theology test, and therefore you're unified, you didn't grieve the Holy Spirit. He's saying, man, how did you treat one another? Did you have bitterness? Did, did you have gossip? Did you forgive one another? Were you kind? We want to be a church filled with the Holy Spirit, we should be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgive one another, even as God in Christ forgave us. That's how this church will get filled with the Holy Spirit. That's how God will move among us. Yes. Right. And the last two scriptures, just to hit home the seriousness of this, that God just he doesn't play with this with unity. That this is truly our only option. 
Romans 16, 17 through 18 says this. Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learn and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ but their own belly and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. Jude 1, 19. These are sensual persons who cause divisions not having the spirit. That this, this is so important. I mean, this was convicting to me of different times where I just, man, put up arguments about things that just flat out did not matter. That I got angry at some, somebody for something in, in the body of Christ that just did not matter. And when you read scripture like this, these are essential people who cause the vision not having the spirit. Man, I don't want that to be me. Like, we've got to take this, this unity stuff serious. And, and that the quickest way to grieve the Holy Spirit and the quickest way to offend the Lord is the way we treat each other and the way that we fight after Unity. So we want to start um, gathering up for um, the offering, and Matt can uh, start bringing us back for a little time of worship here this morning. I want to leave us with a couple questions. Are we really about Him first? That the Christian, you guys can come up with the, the offering. That the Christian walk, it, it just has no room for selfishness. If, if we're really going to be like Christ, he put everyone above himself. And then if we're at the forefront of our, li of our lives, we just don't have a chance for this. And our, our question is, are we about Christ first? Are we about his body? Are we about his team? And is unity truly our only option? Just want you guys to think about these, these three um, questions as Nat um, takes us into a little bit of worship and, and we pray um, for this offering. Father God, Lord, we thank you so much for, for all that you do, God. We thank you for the provisions that you provide, God. And I just pray, Lord, that we would be um, good stewards of this, Lord. So I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide us um, into, into the end of this service, Father, that we would um, find reconciliation with you. In Jesus' name we pray and believe. Amen.